Hello, and welcome back to Keep Digging for Life. I am your host, Jason Epps. Uh, first off, I want to say thank you so much for spending your time to listen. A uh, bit of a personal update. I am now successfully moved into my new house in Missouri, getting ready for my uh, doctoral program at Midwestern Theological Seminary. So, excited about that and thanks to come in the upcoming weeks I will be doing episodes going into the content of some of the books that I'm that I have to read for classes that I think would be extremely beneficial and uh, helpful because one of the classes that I'm taking is advanced hermeneutics and hermeneutics if you're not aware is the art and science of understanding and interpreting anything from the constitution to in this case the bible or biblical manuscripts but in this case hermeneutics is especially important because it revolves around Holy Scripture. So there is a high degree of respect and care that needs to be done. And the books that I've read are positive and negative examples of of how it should be done. So I'm looking forward to giving that. Uh, for now, though, I'm going to do a short episode and I know it's a little bit after the Christmas season, but I realized there were a couple things that I forgot to touch on that I really wanted to cover. And that was, it's a wonderful life, particularly the light theology behind that and the idea of Santa Claus as portrayed in so many uh, movies and uh, situation. So this will be a shorter episode and I hope you'll enjoy it. As always, feel free to contact me on the Anchor app or Keep Digging for Life. That is Keep Digging for Life at gmail.com. So for our first segment, I'm going to be covering It's a Wonderful Life. And a quick summary uh, for those of you that need a refresher. It's about a man named George Bailey who had grand plans for his life. But through a series of situations, he ended up being stuck in the small town of Bedford Falls, helping build the community while constantly being at odds with the uh, rich tycoon of the area who didn't care for anybody but himself. Now, in the point, in the point in the movie, he loses the funds that he's supposed to turn into the bank, and he comes to this thought process that he's worth more dead than alive, and he wants to create suicide. That's when 
Clarence the angel jumps in and shows him that his life is immensely valuable and he had a tremendous impact. Most of the movie is done in a flashback. And the angels are basically portrayed, at least initially in the movie, as stars. Uh, Clarence is seen as a small star and the uh, more prestigious angels, senior angels, are seen as galaxies. What the what the movie shows, at least initially in the beginning, is that prayers rise up and cause the angels to do something. And also that there's a class of angels. And we also learn that Clarence it was a human, but he became an angel and he has to earn his rings. And... It's the ringing of, there's a very famous line, his teacher says, every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Now, while the Bible describes angels as stars, there's not a super hierarchy between angels, uh, per se. There are different types of angels who have different purposes, and there are certain angels that are higher, like Michael and Satan before he fell, but there's not different class and ranks and uh, earning your wings. And in that regard, people don't, when they die, they don't become angels. Angels are pure created uh, beings directly by God. They were created uh, by him in the beginning when he created everything else. In fact, there's an account in Job that implies that he created the angels first before he ever filled the earth. But angels and humans cannot cross over their separate uh, classes, and that's why there is redemption for humans through Jesus Christ, but not for angels. A good point that the movie makes is the fact that people's lives are interconnected and we make a tremendous impact on people without even knowing. But, and, and that is a solid point because we're, everyone's, Because our actions can have repercussions that we're not aware of, and they can have ripples into future generations. Uh, but the philosophy that prayers go up to angels and that move angels to act is not correct. God hears our prayers, and God, through his will being moved through prayer and a confluence of factors, prayer does not force God to do anything. But it does cause him to sometimes move things at a faster pace. It's one of the things that the Bible doesn't really ferret out. It's more of a mystery where God still exercises his will. But prayer in some shape or form does have an effect.
but it's God who orders the angels to help and minister to people. The angels don't have their autonomy. In fact, in some ways, they are the same. It's sort of the same level to us as we are servants of God when we place our faith in Christ. So they are. In fact, Jesus' personal angel says that to John. I am like you, a servant of God. So... That's it for It's a Wonderful Life. Now on to everybody's jolly old man Santa Claus. We'll be right back. Now on to probably the most recognizable figure in all of Christmashood is Santa Claus. Now Santa Claus, at least in our current culture, and is called by many names English. In England, people use the term Father Christmas, but it's basically the same character. It's a... White, fat man with a long beard, who hails from the North Pole, watches over children, is able to have a sort of sense of omniscience about him, almost like a godlike figure, and determines whether children are naughty or nice. And if they're nice, they get toys. If they're naughty, they get lumps of coal. Now, there are several things wrong with wrong with this but it's and to their credit some Santa movies like Santa do point this out the fact that children can be seen as nice is almost an impossibility because no children is perfect and nice because we're all depraved uh, and the Santa Claus too interestingly enough points it out the attribute that Santa is seen as seeing you when you're sleeping and knowing when you're awake. It almost is like borrowing from uh, God's God's transcendence and omniscience, in a sense, more of his omniscience, uh, all knowledge versus being above and over. And, yeah, so... And finally, the the issue that I have most of all is it when Santa is oftentimes presented to kids and you know his parents, you can do whatever whatever you want in regard to this and take this as you will, but it almost gets children when they discover that Santa isn't real. It places distrust for them and their parents of thinking, oh, what else did they lie to me about? And it may cause them to have unnecessary doubt of things that are real that they can't see, namely God and Jesus. So it almost undermines 
not himself. So that that's the issue I have with our culture's portrayal. Interestingly enough, in a lot of other European cultures, uh, for example, in uh, France, they have Pierre Noël, and his uh, mode is going around checking into kids, but he also leaves presents by the creche, which celebrate the baby Jesus. In Italy, there's not a Santa Claus, there's La Bafana. The story behind La Bafana is that she was too late to see the Christ child, and she goes in Christmas night to see, actually, in the Epiphany. So not on Christmas Day, but on the supposed date that uh, is traditionally believed that the wise men arrive to see Jesus. She goes to see the children to see if she could catch a glimpse of the Christ child. And in Mexico, they celebrate the three kings, which are analogous to the wise men. So I find it amazing that in a lot of European countries, they have a more Christocentric celebration from, of Christmas than we often do in the United States. We've commercialized it and made it into a celebration of toys and funny looking elves which there really is interestingly no reason that we should tie it to Saint Nick. The reason that all of this came about as much as I can tell is a quick poem that uh, was developed the the night before Christmas. That has a lot of our uh, Santa Claus imagery and that was carried on forward and it's been perpetuated through movies and such. But now the moment you all were waiting for, have all been waiting for. Who was Santa Claus really? Well, Saint Nick. And he actually was a saint. He was in the uh, 3rd century, 200s. Uh, he was known to be a bishop at the Nicene Council when there was a debate between traditional Christian formula and Arian heresy. Now, when I say there was a debate, uh, skeptical people may say, aha! This might mean that they're, you know, the created nature of Jesus was suppressed and, and therefore, you know, Christianity has, you know, not had a united front. It's kind of, it's the same argument in the Da Vinci Code. Uh, what these <laughs> critics fail to realize is the fact that Orthodox Christianity, that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, has been proclaimed by the church since the Gospels were first written, since the time of Paul the Apostle, and this was written down about 20 years, maybe even earlier than 
after Christ's time, which means no time for falsehoods to creep in. There was no posturing of the church uh, for them to be manipulated because they were minorities at this time in the first century. They were not in power. They didn't have the ability to uh, force or twist anything. So this common thread was all the way through. Why did this occur? Well, as Christianity became popular, there were offshoots of people that wanted to grab power and make a name for themselves, kind of like today. And they wanted to come up with a new thing that would be fanciful, that would be easier and more palatable to the masses. And in the first century, it was hard and people didn't want to believe that Jesus was fully God because how could a God die? Therefore, he must not be God and Arianism, which stated that Christ was a created being and there once when Christ was not, uh, became very popular. Part, partially because he populated his theology through drinking songs. So take that as you will. All right. So back, how does this relate to St. Nicholas? Well, I'm going to tell you. So at the Council of Nicaea, Arius, the proponent of the was not a bishop, so he wasn't allowed to attend. So one of the bishops that actually supported his view stood up and started espousing Arianism, this thought that Jesus was a created being, there once with Christ with not. And St. Nicholas, I love this, he goes up to the guy and he punches him right in the face as if to say, that's a load of poppycock, we're not listening to that. It's insane. Um, um, all the other members in the chamber of bishops held to him and they pointed to the thread that I was referring to. But Santa Claus, uh, Saint Nick, actually had the gumption to get up and do something about it. <laughs> and I first learned of this and since checked it, uh, from my church history professor in undergrad, Brian Litfin. And Brian Litfin, in his history book, makes it a side comment after talking about this, saying, I guess he wasn't feeling jolly that day. <laughs> uh, so that is the real Santa Claus, not a... Uh, bloated fat man who's constantly watching over kids and having elves in the North Pole, but a strong believer in true Christianity and willing to defend Christ's essence in the face and against popular popularism and popular belief. Remember, truth is not always popular, but it's still truth.
Again, thank you so much for listening to my Christmas wrap-up edition. I am going to be covering an overview of some of the books in advanced hermeneutics that I've been reading and digesting. So stay tuned for that. If you have any uh, questions about the Bible, please feel free to email me at keepthinkingforlife at gmail.com or... Uh, drop me a voice message in Anchor. Thank you so very much. Until then, keep digging.